But today's title is Activating Fruitfulness. Um, we're going to be focusing on um, the evangelist in this um, series. And again, we're in this series talking about the fivefold uh, ministry uh, gifts that's outlined in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now, the office of the evangelist ensures uh, the church is communicating the gospel of Jesus to those who have not responded to it as yet. Um, without this gift in any church, uh, that church will eventually lose its effectiveness and diminish over time. Um, so we need this gift within the church. The more I reflected on each leader's uh, role in this church, the more I considered the importance of this particular sermon series. If we look at this series as simply uh, something to know and not something to apply, then we would have missed uh, the value of this series. Um, the value of God's word is not based solely on how much we know, but on how much of what we know is applied to our lives. I know that might sound like a mouthful, but essentially, um, we have to activate the revealed word of God in our lives. So it's easy for us to read God's word and say, I know what God's word is saying, but when we're done reading, when we're done understanding, we have to actually apply that word. Um, Peter mentioned earlier about the grace that we have, saying how do we prove that? Well, when we experience God's grace, we realize that he can do it again. So that's what we're talking about here. So my greatest joy is observing those who are making application of what they've heard. Um, so as a leader, the objective is to get each person to activate their God-given gifts to expand the kingdom of God. So now what is the evangelist, what is this gift, this ministry gift? Well, I won't ask you what comes to mind when you think about an evangelist. But when we hear the word evangelist, it often points, uh, or paints this picture, rather, of street preaching, or maybe this turn or burn type of preaching. And maybe for some of you, you think about, you know, these slick TV presentations of people asking for money. If you send me a gift of $5, I'll give you this water from the Jordan River. You guys ever seen those before? And I'm always, you know, well, I have. You know, I watch some of those well-known stations, and I'm like, is this water really from the Jordan River? Anyway. But what is the biblical depiction of this office of the evangelist? Well, an evangelist is someone who proclaims good news. They are a preacher of the gospel. Um, so, yes, a person with this gift often travels from place to place preaching the gospel, but they're calling for people to repent. But again, we're not just focusing on everyone who preaches and calls for repentance, because we all should preach and we all should call for people to repent. But we're looking at those who possess the equipping gifts of an evangelist, the equipping gift, I should say, of an evangelist. This is a special gift from God for the corporate church. So let's review our key text for this series, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. And today I'm using mainly the New King James Version. Sorry, ESV. 
And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice that verse 13 is not satisfied until the corporate body is involved. Now, here's the interesting thing about the word evangelist. The word evangelist is only found three times in the Bible. Only three times. Um, Ephesians 4.11, um, which is the ministry gift of the evangelist, which is part of the fivefold. We're talking about that today. The second one is in Acts 21, verse 8. Um, Philip is named as an evangelist. And the third one is 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, where Paul urges Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Uh, these are the only three rec records of the word evangelist in all of Scripture. Now, it's easy to allow culture to devalue what is important for the church when we lack understanding. By this I mean one flawed evangelist and everyone gets to be grouped as a tele-evangelist. But there will always be uh, people who don't steward their gifts or their lives well. Um, so I can't stop being a pastor because a few pastors fail. No different that you can't stop being a Christian because other so-called Christians fail. Do you agree? You're like, yes, maybe. Listen, we're all on a spiritual journey. That's the bottom line. We live in a world where evil will be disguised as truth. So we need the Spirit of God to constantly to discern truth. So we have to be careful how we devalue ministry gifts that God has given to his church, but rather to seek to understand what God is trying to communicate or to teach us through his word. Now, I mentioned we're going to be talking about uh, Philip the Evangelist. With the three references of the word evangelist in the Bible, Philip is specifically called an evangelist. Let's clarify that uh, it, this is not the same Philip um, in John 1.43, who Jesus found and called him to be an apostle. If you look through um, the calling of the 12 disciples, the 12 main apostles, you'll see that um, they are constantly where someone will hear something and they'll tell the other about it, like you see with, with Andrew and all the other disciples. And then they would come and they're curious, and then Jesus would see them and call them. But when you look at his story, it tells us that Jesus actually found him and then he called him to follow him. It's very fascinating. So I'll focus on Philip. And now that much is, not much is given about his personal life. We don't see a lot about his personal life. But we do know that he had four daughters um, with the gift of prophecy. It said that they prophesied. Philip was one of seven deacons uh, chosen so that the apostles could do their work of teaching and praying. Uh, we find this in Acts chapter 6, verses 3 to 6. But in verse 7 of Acts 6, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. 
So we're already seeing that there was a distinction between the role of deacons and apostles. Uh, we've spoken about the difference between deacons and elders in this church and how these are ministry titles. Um, so this is important for us to understand. Philip is a great example of this difference between ministry title and ministry giftedness because Philip is a deacon. Deacon relates to church office, but he's also an evangelist that relates to the ministry gifts. The deacon's primary office is to oversee the business of the church, church governance. However, and this is a huge however, even the deacons who focused on the business of the church had ministry gifts to offer. Um, so Philip, he lived in Caesarea for approximately 20 years before Paul arrived in Acts chapter 21. Much of uh, Philip's evangelistic work was in Samaria in Acts 8, which is where we'll find most of our teaching today in Acts chapter 8. And since Philip is the only biblical character that's called an evangelist, his example is meaningful for those who are gifted as an evangelist. So what are the, some of those principles that we can learn um, um, from his ministry? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ must be preached to everyone regardless of race, nation, gender, or cultural background. You can add all the additional words behind wherever you think the gospel should be preached. Because this is the starting point for the evangelist. And I know it might seem simple, but in Acts 8 and verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. You might say, okay, there's nothing profound about what you just said. But when Philip preached to the Samaritans, this was a radical move at the time because traditionally the Jews and Samaritans they hated each other. So Philip, he broke away from tradition and went to those who were different. He followed the example of Jesus who had ministered to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. If you remember in John 4 and verse 9, there was this shock factor because the woman said to Jesus, Jews and Samaritans have no dealings with each other. So how are you asking me for water to drink? Remember that story? Now that had to be some serious tension for them to believe that I can't even ask you for a glass of water. When the Samaritan woman got saved, she went into the town and she shared, she told the people what Christ had done in her life. Likewise, when the Samaritans accepted the gospel, that Philip was preaching, it proved that Jesus came to offer salvation to the whole world, not just the Jews. So in our Christian bubble, we must remember that salvation that we receive must be extended to those we feel is undeserving of such love from Jesus. We have to constantly share this message. We don't have the right to determine who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's confirmed in Scripture because Matthew 24 and 14 tells us 
that until the gospel is preached to everyone, Jesus won't return. He tells us. So why do we find these larger gatherings for an evangelist than what we have in a Sunday service? Can you notice how we'd say, this evangelist come to town, all of a sudden people flocking this. Why do we have this? Well, two, two reasons. They're just two different giftings. Whenever there's a church revival, the target audience is primarily non-believers. So Christians would bring their non-believers, you know, to hear this evangelist. They're hoping that they're going to get saved. Now, Sunday services are primarily geared towards equipping the believers. So you don't always see, you know, many people accepting salvations during a Sunday service. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but these are two different ministries at work. For example, how many people in this room are not a Christian? If you're not a Christian, let me see your hand. See the difference? So services like these are geared to equip the body of Christ. The preaching of the gospel draws attention from the crowd. This drawing nature of the gospel doesn't mean that people are willing to accept Jesus, but people are curious to see what's happening. In Acts 8 and verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. When God's word is preached, some will accept Jesus, some will mock or criticize the message. We also um, saw this in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. Some people were amazed, some were mocking, but ultimately people got saved, 3,000 people. We also saw this when Jesus preached on two separate occasions when he fed 4,000 and 5,000. He, he said the crowd remained because they received the bread, but the gospel drew the crowd. We see crowds gathering when the gospel is preached because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that draws people. So many evangelists, they face challenges when they function outside their ministry role. The ministry gift of an evangelist is not to disciple people. Let me say this again. The ministry gift of an evangelist is not to disciple people. I'm sure heads are turning like, what? Yes, we're all called to make disciples of Jesus, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, and I'm sure you guys can all quote that. But that's done through an individual role. These ministry gifts that we're talking about, it focuses on the corporate body. It's about equipping the church. This is why so much focus is spent on getting everyone unified on where God is taking the church. God has implemented a divine order that is necessary for the expansion of the kingdom. In order for this to take place, then we have to all understand what God is doing. If we don't have this unity, no growth will occur. The evangelists, yes, they can disciple people, but that's not the purpose of the ministry gift. Now, I'm not suggesting that having multiple gifts are impossible. That's not what I'm saying to you. But there's a unity among them. 
Philip the evangelist preaches, a crowd gathers, many are saved and healed. But look at verse 14 of chapter 8. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So a few apostles heard what God was doing through Philip's ministry. They weren't even there. They heard about it, but they understood the divine order of God, and they sent Peter and John to authenticate the move of God and to disciple new believers. So when Peter, when Philip, I should say, completed his role as an evangelist, the ministry of the apostles began. So we have to learn how to function in our ministry role and get out the way. Can we say get out the way? Yes, we have to learn how to function in our ministry and move, move, get out the way. The most common question for the evangelist when unbelievers accept Christ is, well, how do we follow up with these new believers? As Pastor Mimi suggested a couple weeks ago, the other ministry gifts are standing next to each other, waiting to partner with what God is doing. And the simplest example, whenever I'm preaching, like today, I believe God has given me the words to say. But I also believe that God has given the worship team the right songs to sing. So I come here fully prepared to sing, lift my hands, and, and I'm worshiping with the songs that God has given the worship team. The worship team must be sensitive in singing the right songs and not just singing the songs, but placing the songs in the right order. See, it can't just, oh, we have these songs, let's just sing these songs. No, there has to be the right placement. Because at the right time when our hearts have been prepared, the preached word that God has given me partners with what God had been doing with these songs. You guys get me? Like, maybe. So standing beside the evangelists are other minister gifts, the pastor, the prophet, the teacher, and the apostle. The next thing we learn from Philip is that evangelists must be obedient in going where God sends them. Uh, remember, the evangelist travels from place to place, preaching the gospel and calling people to repentance. In Acts 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. I find this rather interesting, you know, and I kept reading this over and over. But it's also a hard check for all of us. Philip was in the middle of leading a successful revival in Samaria. Preaching, teaching, it says that healing is taking place, people are coming to know Jesus. And in the middle of all of this, it says, an angel came and told him, leave and head south along the desert road to Gaza, the middle of nowhere. I remember when my family was going through a difficult season in ministry, and we were praying for God's direction. And someone in Pastor Mimi's doctoral cohort prayed and offered a word of wisdom. He said, 
Hold ministry lightly. Three words. Hold ministry lightly. There will be seasons when you are very effective in what you do, and then God will send a message for you to release it. You're leading worship, and God says, release it. You're doing a great job leading college ministry, and God says, release it. Doing a great job leading your small group year after year, and God says, release it. Think about that. As I get back to my iPad, it has a mind of its own. But those three words are something that we held on to for a while. And the question is, or at least the concern for us is, how do I release what I've built? Or how do I release my comfort in ministry so that the kingdom of God can expand. Every year, you're running a successful connect group. But is it possible that God is calling you to something different, but you're comfortable? Maybe you've thought about what you would do if you led a ministry but you're seated in the pew observing and you're keeping the wisdom and the creativity of God hidden. You go home week after week saying, man, this is what I would have done. Every ministry you lead will run its course, but your calling will remain. Every ministry that you lead will run its course, but your calling will remain. So when, you're, when your ministry that you lead run its course, or you hold on too long to it, or you, or you don't want to release what God is saying. When you lead that, you have to say, okay, God, what are you saying right now? Because when you lead in any capacity, according to the instructions or the wisdom of God, growth will occur. When you lead according to God's plan, growth will occur. And when growth takes place, we are responsible for ensuring that we never become complacent or take ownership of what God built through us. So yes, I'm suggesting that God will use you to build something great for his kingdom, but there will come a point in time when you must release what you've built so that ministry can expand. So nothing is wrong with acknowledging that you're really good at something, like when uh, we're at the barbecue and, P and Peter is like, I'm the grill master. He said, uh, he said, in fact, people say they can grill and I put them all to shame. Nothing is wrong with acknowledging that you're really good at something. But what God wants is for you to steward what you're really good at. You know, I would rather, you know, have 25 Peters who says, I'm really good at this thing, than having those who have those false humility. Don't let false humility be your demise. It's just as dangerous as someone who's prideful. 
See, God wants us to say, yes, I'm really good, but then now you steward that gift. He gave it to you. You recognize it, but now he wants you to steward it for his glory. So in any event, just thought I'd throw that out there. Philip is preaching the gospel. Revival is taking place. The Lord says, I need you to go elsewhere. See, it's tempting to suggest that our story ends when we move all our events to Hillegas, but that's far from the truth. Our Hillegas location, location is simply an, ex, an opportunity for us to grow into our next season of ministry. See, we've been separate for so long, service here, office there, but now we have an opportunity to come together and grow into our next season. If you believe we're moving to just settle down, you're the wrong church. Because our number one priority is to hear the voice of God corporately and respond to his instructions. Which means if ministry doesn't stretch us, we've probably allowed ourselves to become stagnant. We won't be a stagnant church. God wants us to release our comfort in exchange for the expansion of his kingdom. Stretch you a little bit. Some of you guys who are called to teach and say, oh, well, I can't do a Sunday. Got to be stretched. Let me offer you a personal advice. Whenever God is leading you in a specific direction and it makes you uncomfortable, it is possible that you've allowed yourself to become stagnant. You came to Berkeley thinking you'll be here for a short time. You're thinking you'll get a degree and spend a couple years and then relocate. Or maybe you relocated for work and you're thinking, ah, it's going to be temporary. I'm going to be moving back to SoCal or New York or Seattle or wherever. And knowing that your time is temporary, you're comfortable living a simple life. You can church hop, stay home, go to church whenever you feel like, slowly detach from community, waiting until your departure time comes. But I'm here to tell you that God is wanting you to exchange your comfort for the expansion of his kingdom. I don't believe it was easy for Philip. Philip left the comfort and success of his ministry to embrace the unknown of starting over. Think about that. There is a multitude that's gathering there. It says a multitude gathered, but yet the angel of the Lord came and said, go by the desert. And he says, I guess I'll go. Don't know what's going to happen. There's ministry waiting for you. All of you here, there's ministry waiting for you to do. So stop searching for comfort in other churches because someone had to sacrifice their comfort to build what you want to enjoy. Do you think it's easy to sit there and say, God, what songs do you want us to sing this week? And after you get the songs, you're like, now I gotta go practice. Are you serious? Trust me, I know the headache sometimes. You think it's easy to sit there and 
spend hours writing a sermon, and then the last minute God says, ah, change the direction. If what you're looking for in a church doesn't exist, maybe God is calling you to invest your time into building something for others to enjoy. Because we always say ministry is not for us. It's for others to enjoy. And Dr. Cal Chaco, one of my friends living in Sacramento, he was a youth pastor, but he envisioned uh, creating this online portal for those who are aspiring to be pastors within the, the Assemblies of God. Met him a few years ago. And when, I, when, when my family moved here to California, he was one of the first people I met with for lunch. And he wanted to, me to serve as one of their professors to do some pro bono work for his startup. Now, it was a stretch for me. I'm trying to come in here and get my, you know, get myself organized. But I was like, sure. Today, that program has partnership with almost 10 different universities where those same classes are now college classes. Those pro bono professors are now shifting towards being paid positions. And yet I'm saying, God, should I still continue in this season? Helping him to build this platform and now saying, God, should I move on now? If you were to set your emotions aside, are you at a place to hear God speak for your next move? Setting aside your emotions, are you at this place to hear God move? If you can't hear God speak, don't make that decision. And if you're unsure of what God is saying, don't make that decision. Here's what Philip reveals in our text. When we obey God's instruction, he prepares the opportunity to share the gospel. Everything you do in life is about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it all comes down to how we contextualize that sharing. So while on vacation, God kept providing opportunities to share the gospel. And I'm thinking, I thought we were on vacation to rest from the work of ministry. But God strategically places us in areas and provides the opportunity for us to share his love in response to our obedience to him. I can't think of any staff member that I encountered in Jamaica that didn't know that I was a pastor before I left. Someone always wanted to hear a story. Uh, my wife went to, you know, you know, to beautify herself. And I'm like, why is she taking so long there? She's having a counseling session while getting her <laughs> in a spa. <laughs> I'm like, what took you three hours in there? She's like, well, you know, started sharing, and she heard I was a Christian, and before you know it, one thing led to another, and they're having a counseling session. But you know what? It was a privilege to share the gospel, even while I was sitting waiting for my meal. And if you guys know me, I like when my food is hot. My food is getting cold because the person next to me is asking me about the gospel while he's drinking something that got him to a little bit of point beyond consciousness. 
But nonetheless, I still shared you know, the gospel and then had my meal. We don't know where God will send us. Why am I saying this? Acts 8, 27 to 29. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. As the evangelist stays sensitive to the Spirit's leading and follows his leading, he discovers that there's someone who needs to hear the gospel. God calls all believers to do the work of an evangelist. Now let me draw your attention to two passages of Scripture to highlight this point. Psalm 1, verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. So the psalmist in Psalm 1, verse, verse 3, compares the righteous man to a fruitful tree planted by streams of water. Notice the intentionality. There's a distinct purpose for this tree. It is planted in a specific location and is only required to produce fruit in its season. So maybe today you're not producing the fruit that you want, but maybe tomorrow you will. As God plants us individually in the body of Christ, there is a specific purpose in mind, and God gives us his spirit to identify our season of fruitfulness. So maybe this season you're leading a group, a connect group, and you have three people, and you're like, what's going on? And then the next season you have 25, and you're like, too many. Because there's a season that God will give you where you will have an abundance of fruit. So this tells us that our legacy as Christians is based on the fruitfulness of our ministry. Now, we often limit fruitfulness to leadership roles in a church. But let me ask you this. Does the value of your Christian influence thrive because of your ministry role? I want you to think about that for a moment. Because your Christian identity should not be locked into leading a ministry. See, the answer to that question is part of the legacy that you're building. See, I love Pastor Albert. I love how he's always available to preach, you know, when we ask him. But dream with me for a moment. Imagine if last Sunday we had someone from our church preaching. And, and I'm not talking about just a random person sharing for that one day. But I'm talking about someone who's like, no, God is really calling me to do this. We get a chance to experience this gift. Wouldn't that be great? Only my wife says yes. But wouldn't it be great to have, you know, to have people in here who says, I'm called into, into this role to, to be a pastor, to be a teacher. Wouldn't that be great? Yes? Y'all think I'm going to be preaching every week. <laughs> I'll be like uh, Timothy and just pull it out. Yeah, I see some of you guys out there. Don't worry. The Eric's and Peter's of the world, and, and, you know, and y'all go ahead. 
All right, Janie? All right, so... <clears throat> The purpose of this series is to help you to understand the importance of these gifts within the church. The Apostle Paul was encouraging Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith, in 2 Timothy 4 and 5. He says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We know Timothy was a pastor. He was pastoring a church in Ephesus. But Paul was suggesting that this ministry gift of the evangelist is so essential in the church. Paul says, don't get so fixated on this area of ministry and neglect this other. He says, fulfill your ministry by doing the work of an evangelist. Preach the gospel and call people to repentance. But look at how Philip demonstrated this for us. Acts 8, 30-31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come, to come up and sit with him. So the Ethiopian eunuch needed someone to explain the scriptures. Today there are many people who have questions about God and even the meaning of life. Well, who will answer these questions? If the evangelist does not go, who will tell them about Jesus? How can they understand unless someone explains? So God takes Philip away from where he was already being fruitful so that he can be fruitful elsewhere. Acts, Acts 8.30 said that Philip ran to this eunuch. Philip didn't complain that he was starting over, but he expressed a sense of eagerness to share the gospel. Being pulled away from the crowd to an audience of one. When the evangelists preach, every scripture leads to Jesus. Every scripture. Um, Acts 8, 32-35. The place in scripture which he read was this, talking about the eunuch. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its sharer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? for his life is taken from the earth. So, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of whomself or, some, or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. So this eunuch is, is reading the Old Testament, and Philip came, preached Jesus. Jesus is the central point of the Bible. The Old Testament, you've heard it before. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. So no matter where one starts reading in the Bible, the scripture leads to Jesus. The difference between a true evangelist and another preacher who just uses this title is how they talk about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit sends the evangelists wherever they're most needed. That's what happens. So Philip is sent by the desert. Acts 8.39. Now when they came up out of the water, so this is talking about when the eunuch heard the gospel, he says, well, what's stopping you from baptizing me right now? Baptize me, because he heard the gospel, accepted it, now he's saved. Acts 8.39. So when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord 
caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So Philip was caught away, which means he was led by the Spirit of God, and then he reappeared in another city where he continued to preach. So the evangelist moves in, does their job, and then moves on to their next assignment. Invite worship team to come forward. How does the office of the evangelist serve a church? Well, the evangelist will serve the church in several ways. One, they activate and resource the church to reach non-believers. I have to take a snapshot so I can go through this real quickly. So number one, they activate and resource the church to reach non-believers. Number two, they develop outreach initiatives. So you'll find that someone who has this gift is probably leading an outreach ministry. Three, they identify, develop, and deploy evangelistic gifts in others. So they pull out those who are called um, to serve in this area of evangelism. Number four, they ensure that the preaching of the gospel is central to the effectiveness of the church. Number five, they constantly seek a response from non-believers, a response of repentance and allegiance to Christ. Number six, they remove barriers of complacency and encourage wholehearted commitment to share our faith to non-believers. And number seven, they equip others to reach the lost as they themselves are reaching the lost. So they're saying, do what I do. By observing the ministry of Philip, the evangelist, we can activate fruitfulness of ministry in our lives. Again, we're all called to be an evangelist. We're all called to share the gospel. And when we share the gospel, we give an opportunity for people to respond, to repent of their sins. I've already asked earlier if there's any non-believers, and of course, we didn't find those here, and that's okay. We still ask each time we share a message because we don't know who's in the room. We don't, don't know who's watching. But we always see that within that, there's this sense of fruitfulness when we share, when we serve in our roles. The gifting of an evangelist is very important for the church. This is what we need to reach a lost world. I invite you to bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry gift of the evangelist. Thank you for the ministry of Philip. We've seen, God, how you brought him from the grandest of stage to an audience of one where the eunuch accepted you as Lord of his life. And then he, we see Philip moved on to the next. I pray, God, that as we reflect on your word, that we too can understand that there are times that you call us to lead areas of ministry that will provide great fruit. And in those moments, you will have us release the thing that we love the most to start a new journey. So I pray, God, that you'll allow us to hold ministry lightly, understand that all that we do is for your glory. So I pray, God, as, as we leave this place, that you will just cover us of your blood. Help us to continue to share your good news of the gospel to everyone that needs to hear it, God. 
We just so love you much, God. Give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.